Welcome to Crypto Podcast Goods, the audio home for Club CPG. We are back with another genius call. This week featuring NFT God, prolific tweeter and newsletter author, to talk about authenticity in Web3. Back on October 20th, he joined CPG COO Mikey Pirro for a live conversation about his personal brand growth over the last year, most of it happening once the bear market hit. As a reminder, the hosts of CPG, Pop, and their guests are not registered investment advisors. All opinions are of the hosts and guests alone. Nothing discussed today should be treated as investment advice, and all content from our genius calls is solely for informational and entertainment purposes only. Now let's get to that genius call. GMGM, welcome Club CPG, and this one's live on the Twitterverse. I would like to dive right in to our guest, a quick preamble. So we're very fortunate to have a very authentic voice on the Twitterverse for Web3 and NFT Twitter. Uh, NFT God has been tweeting out all sorts of great nuggets of goodness. We're going to dive into some of his history today. He's got a newsletter. He's got over 55,000 followers. And we're really having a, a great time setting this up. And we're thankful to have him here today. So NFT God, Alex, welcome to the show. Um, how's it going? It's going well, my man. Good to be here, Mikey. Oh, we really appreciate you being here. Um, I have to say, I got to give a shout out to Janet because she does a ton of the work behind the scenes, doing a bunch of research, uh, providing a bunch of the questions. And I I just spent the past like couple days and specifically the past couple hours just diving through your Twitter. And I have to say, I love it all. And um, we're going to dive into a couple of different pieces here. But to start, um, we're going to talk about your origin story. So I really want to hear how you got into the current state of affairs and how you grew up and you know what you've been up to uh, to get to this point. Yeah, man, I, I've been in technology my entire life. Uh, so I studied computer science, was a software developer, got into tech consulting. Now I manage a team of tech consultants. And about a year and a half ago, I stumbled across an article for Sandbox. Uh, which is one of the metaverses. And I was blown away. I didn't hear about crypto up to that point. And I was blown away by this concept that you can, you know, be in this uh, Minecraft type land, build things, own it, sell it, buy, and, and, you know, you own all the assets in the game. And that really is kind of what red pilled me into NFTs. And, And from there, you know, I bought a bunch of sandbox land. I bought a bunch of sand I held it. I wish I would have like really leaned in at that point. This is March of 2021. Uh, Come December 2021, that's when I I started looking around more, looking at other projects, and I decided to dive in fully. And I I picked up uh, my new Nate. I started my Twitter account. I started a blog. I started a newsletter. Uh, I tried to think of, okay, what was the name that would uh, get people's heads to turn and want to click on my name? NFT God was the first idea I came up with. I I checked on Twitter. It was available. Got the handle. I I bought the domain nftgod.gives. And uh, I've been writing from there. And, you know, before this, I was creating content in the traditional finance space as kind of a hobby. Before that, I was creating content in the sports space as a hobby. I just, I like writing. And, you know, I, I realized as I was looking around the NFT space, 
a lot of the voices, a lot of the influencers and the thought leaders were more memes and, and things like that. And I think those are critical. I think those are important to have for this culture. Uh, but there wasn't really anyone giving like value and tips in, in, in you know, trying to spread information. And so I, I realized quickly, you know, there was a gap in the market and I wanted to fill that gap. So last December started tweeting, started sending out newsletters and just been, uh, you know, creating content and growing since. So there's a couple of things that I'd love to to touch on there. Um, I have this same approach. Like I love DGENs when I meet them and how they're, you know, trading and flipping and I am not good at it and, and I respect it, but that's not the part of the world I want to play in, in web three. And it's similar. I think in your, like the memes are hilarious or serve a function, but some of them kind of are like, if you're a shit poster, you're sort of like hiding behind that snark. Um, and I don't know that everybody wants to have that be their like authentic self. And you've seemed to have found this voice that is really extremely authentic. And I think that it's great. I think that there's a couple things that you mentioned there about like trends and you're sort of, it's almost like you're bucking this trend of by being authentic. What do you think inspires you to, to kind of be motivated in that way? Cause the, the content you put out has lots of like very practical, pragmatic tips. Like where does that come from? Yeah, I, I well, one thing was I noticed um, when I was in the traditional finance content space, all the influencers, all they did was just give information. They, they got charts, uh, different stock charts and said, hey, I noticed this trend. They read 10K reports and give information on that. And I didn't see much of that kind of in the NFT space. So, you know, I wanted to be unique in that way. And then from an authentic voice perspective, uh, I just... I, I, it took a while to find my voice. I wanted to help. It's the number one thing, you know, that satisfies me in my life is helping others and knowing my information is, is made changes and improvements in other people's lives. So, you know, I made, I was creating content and NFT got with under a couple thousand followers for six months. You know, I, it took me from December to June of this year, I was under 5k the entire time. And, you know, I was trying, experimenting with different content, seeing what worked, seeing what didn't work trying different tweets and threads and all that. And, you know, it was the content where I was sharing knowledge and sharing things I was learning that was performing the best. And, you know, so I, I started leaning super hard into that. And, you know, really my strategy has been from the beginning, I, I try to learn as much as I can. And then I share what I learn. You know, I, I read as many books as I can. I experiment, I trade, whatever it is. And then I just share it all out. You know, I don't hold anything back. I share out what's working for me from a growth perspective, trading perspective, life perspective, uh, and then I share it with others. And it's it's just what's worked well. I mean, there's a saying uh, when I when I worked at Meta, they had these red letter uh, posters like "Be bold and move fast." And there was a facetious one that I think resonates really well in Web three, and it's "Every day feels like a week." And so in this like torrent of Twitter spaces and tweets that come at you, um, you know, what have you found is like the most exciting trend in that span? Because I think we could look back six months and the trends are probably very different. So what's been the evolution of trends that you've kind of latched onto from that growth period of a thousand to now? It's uh, specifically in the NFT space. 
In NFT Twitter, yeah. Yeah. NFTs. I think the space is shifting. When I started, something that really bugged me was engagement farming was rampant. It was like 99% of content on NFT Twitter was engagement farming. Things like retweet and tag three friends. Like this tweet and I just might change your life. Um, You know, tweets that take a lot of value but give very little. And that was the trend. That's what worked, unfortunately. And, you know, I wanted to buck that trend and do something different. Uh, And so I think over the last several months since the bear market started, that trend is is slowly starting to fade. And actually giving value is the new trend, whether it's giving value through more humor or things like that, or giving value of mixing it up with communities. So founders and projects going into spaces, getting in the trenches with their holders, things like that, just getting part of their community. You know, I, I think more of the authenticity is becoming the trend and people are looking down upon the engagement farming now, now that money isn't flowing like crazy through the space. Um, so, you know, I think the the space is maturing. I think all the pain a lot of people have felt over the last several months is causing people to shift and change. Um, and I, I think a higher bar and a higher standard for quality when it comes to content uh, is starting to happen in the space. So for Club CBG, we're very proud of the Builders Club that we formed in the incubator. And so what are some of the tactics or trends that you would say like, so you have a personal brand and you're coming through as an individual. What have you seen for projects that Again, the engagement farming is sort of on the decline, thankfully. What are some things apart from the authenticity that you would look for a brand to do as we're like looking for these builders to reap some knowledge here? Yeah, it seems that the projects that are succeeding in the bear market are being led by people that truly understand Web3 culture. And, you know, so you look at some of the projects that have succeeded in the bear market, you look at like a Utes, for instance, led by Frank, you know, that succeeded incredibly in the bear market because he was going on every Twitter space every day. He was mixing it up with people in the community. He was doing AMAs in the Discord every day. And he truly seemed like he understood the Web3 culture. And that's what people are looking for, are are people who understand Web3 culture. So if you're looking to you know have a project succeed the space is not really a product driven space just yet it's an attention driven space um you know you can create an absolutely fantastic web3 product and it still won't sell because you don't have attention on it but you can create kind of a crap product and if you have the the grasp of the uh web3 culture you can still sell it out utes doesn't have any utility announced yet and it's still generated millions of dollars because Frank demonstrated his ability to understand the culture. And now on the other hand, you look at a project like Doodles, who is an incredibly well-run company. You know, they have a board, they have executives, they have celebrities. You know, they're, they're truly building a product. The issue is they went a month without tweeting and they demonstrated a, a lack of understanding Web3 culture. And that really hurt their project. So if I was to make a recommendation to builders out there, I'd say, you know, really understand Web3 culture, get ingrained in it. And that's how you're going to roll out your product uh, to larger masses. Thanks. How do you think the bear has affected your engagement? 
Like, what are you seeing different from, say, earlier this year to now? Honestly, you know, I really started taking off in the bear market. Um, so I, I've just been slowly growing the entire time. You know, one thing I notice is a lot of my content where I call out the negatives of the old way of doing things works really well. So when I call out the engagement farming from past, or when I call out the shady tactics that some projects might deploy, that actually performs really well. And what that tells me is one, people are kind of quietly angry at the way things were ran in the previous market. Uh, and two, there's just not enough people calling it out just yet. So to kind of go back to the point you were talking about earlier, people want authenticity. And I haven't been afraid to kind of call out some of the weird things that have been going on in the space over the past 10 months. Uh, and so that's been working well for me. That's That's been picking up the last several months in the bear market. Um, but at the end of the day, the content that works best for me doesn't have any specific theme. Uh, you know, I, I tweeted yesterday a guide on how to get started in programming. It's one of my top five uh, performing tweets ever. My number one performing tweet was like my favorite tools and NFTs. It is a vast array of types of content. The one thing that's consistent across all of them is the content that gives the most value performs the best. 100%. In going through your Twitter feed a couple of times and more recently, and I went through and liked a ton of things, the one for computer science um, really hit home because I, I believe there are lots of folks who, if you just have an internet connection, you can get you can get a lot of knowledge. And uh, I think it's great that you called that out. Like, yeah, you don't need to go get a CS degree. You can just learn it yourself. With respect to Twitter and how much time you spend on it, um, you have a day job. You're very successful there. You have some tweets that are really interesting about specific tactics of like how you set up building that discipline of tweeting. I know for me. There's like a love-hate relationship with Twitter often. And part of it is like you can get stuck in that doom scroll. How do you avoid that? And what is sort of your routine that others can like... It's summarized in a tweet here, but I would love for you to just articulate it. I was forced into having to get disciplined when it came to Twitter because I do have a very busy day job uh, that I enjoy very much. Um, You know, I've been working hard in my career to build it to this point. And so... You know, that's my number one priority. So I was forced to get discipline around Twitter and make sure, you know, my days aren't sucked into it. And so for me, I've had the same routine and process for the last 10 or 11 months I've been tweeting, which is, you know, I spend about a half hour a night ideating. So just dumping ideas into a notepad. I I use Notion. That's my favorite note taking app on my computer. And I just dump as many ideas as I can into it for that half hour. And then I just edit it down for a couple of minutes. I take those ideas, you know, I, I get rid of the fluff. I try to make the writing as powerful as possible. And then I just cue tweets. So I got a tool I use called Hype Fury, which is like a tweet scheduling tool. It's great. I just schedule the, the tweets into there. Um, my routine's pretty straightforward. Again, it's been the same since December 28th, 2021. And that's been, I do two tweets a day. I do two threads a week and I do one newsletter a week. And I just, when I get the spare time, I create the content, I schedule it for whenever I want to send it out. I just put it in my queue and then my tools just tweet it out. You know, I have my next 14 days of tweets put out already because I've just been working on it, you know, continuously. And what that allows me to do is I don't need to live on Twitter. 
you know, back when I started, I, I didn't use scheduling. And every time I tweeted, I had to do it live, right? I had to come up with ideas live and send it out. And one, that just makes it so your ideas aren't as ironed out. And two, it means you have to constantly be thinking about Twitter. And I'd rather compartmentalize that, you know, have my half hour a night. I ideate, create content, schedule it out, and then not have to think about it, you know, until the next time I ideate. So it's all about discipline. It's all about routines. I tweet about routines and habits a lot. You know, I, I think discipline equals freedom. And the more disciplined you are, the more freedom you'll have. And so by having this discipline around content creation, it's made it a lot easier for me to balance, you know, my day job, which takes up 12 plus hours of my day. And then all the things I'm doing uh, with content creation. The, the discipline key uh, component is crucial. I, I think it's an undervalued skill and an undervalued trait in folks. Um, I appreciate it. Well, for one, I mean, my background is from the army and Discipline is kind of our thing. Um, shifting gears slightly, Twitter spaces, like we're not on a Twitter space right now. It's just you and I, we're live streaming the Twitter, which I hope is a trend that actually picks up because I think it actually gives us a bit more flexibility um, for a lot of things, a lot of reasons. But what's your take on um, Twitter spaces and how to run them effectively and how that fits into your overall Twitter? strategy going you know going back to december yeah i love twitter spaces i think it's an excellent growth strategy i think a large part of my growth from zero to 50k was twitter spaces and i tweet about it a lot you know if you if you're trying to grow if you're under that 10k follower uh you want to be leveraging twitter spaces immensely you want to be speaking on a space every day it's 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 it helps you in so many ways. It's improving your communication skills. It's improving your public speaking. It's improving your sales skills. And it's it's in improving your growth, right? You go on there on a Twitter space, you share your opinion. People who agree with your opinion are going to follow you. And now you're building a high quality audience. And I talk about it a little bit. There's a huge difference between a high quality audience and a low quality audience. Low quality audiences are built through engagement farming. Um, you know, other tactics like that, botting, whatever it is. And low quality audiences are the equivalent of having no audience at all. They're not going to engage with you. They're not going to buy your ideas. They're not going to buy into your vision and your voice. It's pretty useless, but you get your vanity metrics. A high quality audience is an audience of people that believe in your vision, that agree with, you know, agree with the things you've said on spaces and, you know, share the same values. And that's the type of audience that's going to, you know, be a part of everything you produce, read everything you produce, engage with everything you produce. If you decide to sell a product one day, they're going to be the ones buying your product. They're going to be your evangelists to other people. And so, you know, I, I really focus on different ways to build high quality audiences. And Twitter spaces are one of those examples of ways to really build a high quality audience if you go on it and really leverage uh, the opportunity. And so I have a bunch of opinions about audio in particular. I feel like a lot of the Twitter spaces being live, there's a great ephemerality to it, but it's also the, the quality is very hit or miss depending on who's in the space with you and what the topic is. I think they're getting better, but I feel like the evolution of the tool set um, is still pretty early. 
And I think that the data kind of shows that. What are the things that you would give? What is the advice that you would give somebody for trying to like dive in and have that nerve kind of edged off, like taken away? What's the, what's this, how did you prepare to get into them? Did you just dive in feet first or like, what was your mindset for hitting that? There's no other way to do it. You just do it cold turkey. Uh, I was very nervous doing my first Twitter spaces. I think I went on my first stage back in February of this year. Uh, it was a stage that had over a thousand people in the audience. I was nervous as hell. My voice was shaky. Um, I did it again a day later. Nervous as hell. Voice is shaky. I did it again a day later. Maybe after 10 times of doing it, did I finally start to feel comfortable? Uh, there's no other ways to conquer your fear other than just conquering it. And you do that through repetitions. Um, so, you know, Twitter spaces is one of those things where it's such an incredible tool when it comes to improving a lot of different skill sets very easily. You know, it, it, before it was very difficult to get the practice of talking in front of a lot of people. You know, you need to do like a Toastmasters. Here you can just go on your phone while you're sitting on your couch, search for a space, request to speak, and now you're speaking in front of hundreds of people. And that's incredibly valuable practice for your different skill sets. Um, so there's no other way to do it other than just doing it and, and trying not to overthink it. And then eventually that voice in the back of your head that says, this is scary, you're screwing up, will we'll go away and fade. Just jump right in. So we've covered short form with Twitter. We've covered audio with Twitter. But talk about your newsletter and how that dovetails into the strategy that you formed and, and kind of give us the roots of it. I think you have a Substack now. You started with something that was a little different, but give us kind of that history and like, how does that fit into the routine? Because now you've got, all right, you take time for writing tweets, take time to join spaces, and then you take line for long form. Like what's the overlap there? And you know, what are your, what's the overlap? And how did you get into like knowing you wanted to write this newsletter and any other details you want to share? Yeah. So I started the newsletter when I started my Twitter account. So I started the newsletter when I had zero followers. Uh, at that time, I was actually sending out a newsletter a day. So for the first few months, I sent out a newsletter every single day. It took me like an hour and a half. You know, I was up till two in the morning some night because I had to do work. I had to do this, you know, whatever it was. And then I had a, I, I made sure I wrote the newsletter. I made sure I stayed disciplined. And the reason I did it is honestly, I just really like long form writing. And I realized there was nobody else in the space doing long form writing. And so, again, I saw a gap in the market. And I wanted to fill that gap. And, uh, you know, as it evolved, my motivations with the newsletter have evolved. Right now, I want now my newsletter is my place for my hardcore fans. Right. Like if someone's willing to trust me and subscribe to my newsletter and give me their email address, those are my hardcore fans. And I want to be able to build a more personal connection with them. And so I only do the newsletter once a week now, but I make it a lot longer. I had tried to add a lot more personal value stuff to it. And I just try to build a closer relationship with my fans through there. I also strongly believe that, you know, if you're looking to build a platform, you need to be on multiple platforms. So if you're only on Twitter, the Twitter algorithm controls you. You know, if they decide to change the algorithm and for some reason your content is not favored by the algorithm, your platform disappears. But if you have something like a newsletter, for instance, you control your platform, you control your email list. There's no algorithm that's taking that away. 
And so uh, I, I wanted to have that secondary platform um, for what I was doing that an algorithm couldn't destroy. And so, you know, I, I ended up being very lucky that I started this when, you know, I built my account because I don't believe I'd have the growth right now that I have if I started it recently. I'm at, you know, close to 9,000 subscribers at the moment on my newsletter. I think that makes it one of the biggest newsletters in the NFT space. And, um, you know, the key here is I think a lot of people are scared to start these other platforms that they're not comfortable with, whether it's a YouTube a newsletter, a TikTok, whatever it is. They're like, oh, when I get big, maybe I'll do it. The thing is, you need to find your voice when you have a small platform, when you have a small audience, right? My newsletter stunk when I started and I had like 10 subscribers, but I was able to find my voice. And by the time I had 1,000, 2,000, 5,000 subscribers, you know, I was, a, I was a master at building these newsletters and building this content. So the key is when you have a small audience, you have a small platform, that's your time to experiment. That's your time to try new things. And that's your time to try your, to, to find your voice. You shouldn't wait till you have a platform to do those things. So I was kind of charmed to read that you grew up with a typewriter. And you actually, so my daughter has dyslexia. And so we've been on this journey. She's she's very young and she's only in second grade. And so like learning the alphabet is something that is very like tactile. And I was thinking about your story and I was like, man, I can just go get a typewriter. That'd be great. And she'd love it because she actually set up a little office here in the house that's on a keyboard, but it's it's not connected to anything. It's just like my old Mac keyboard. So how did your youth and your love of kind of writing evolve over time? And like, what are some of the lessons looking back that, like you said, you, you're, you're building small, you're finding your voice. Like, what does that mean? And how did your past kind of influence finding your voice now? Like, what are some examples of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I do believe I had an advantage coming into content creation because I've been writing my entire life as a hobby. You know, my career is completely tech focused. It has nothing to do with writing whatsoever. But it's just always been a hobby of mine. And as you said, you did great research. Uh, my parents bought me a typewriter when I was a kid, when I was like five years old. Uh, I'm 32, so it's not like computers didn't exist when I was a kid. Uh, they were just cheap. And so they bought me a typewriter. And so I loved it because you type on it and the story goes right on the paper. And then you can take the paper off and staple it and you have a book. Like you can't really do that with computers anymore. Like that, No one has printers that doesn't exist. And so that's why I really like the typewriters because I instantly had my products that I was creating. And so since then, you know, I've been writing's always just still been my hobby. So I eventually started a sports blog and I was blogging about sports and then I went into traditional finance and I was blogging and tweeting. So I've been able to hone kind of my craft for a while now, uh, but it's, you still need to find your voice. And you know, when I got into NFTs, I didn't have an NFT voice. I didn't really know what my angle was. But after writing and writing and writing and tweeting and writing blogs and newsletters and this and that, I was able to figure out what worked, what was authentically me and what I can create. And so, you know, really at the end of the day, you, you got to be writing. The more you create, the more you produce, the more you'll be able to find your voice. Uh, and that's what's really going to be important. And, and that only comes from repetitions. And those repetitions from, come from just sitting down, uh, not only getting the repetitions in and like writing, but also being honest with yourself. I had to be honest with myself 
the first six months I was doing this on what was working, what wasn't, where I lacked skills, where I stunk, and where I needed to improve. It, it's not just repetitions by itself. It's repetitions and honesty with yourself. And, and that's what caused me to uh, find my voice. So Twitter is full of trolls. And as you grow and you have more exposure, I'm sure you've come across a couple of them. Um, does anything stand out in terms of how, like how you first encountered it, and then you know what you've what you've done to build up either resiliency or like what are your tactics and what's your mindset on when they do come for you, which I think inevitably they come for us all. This this is a tough one for me because I am targeted by trolls. If you're doing anything well, you're going to be targeted by trolls. Just like there's always going to be people who get angry at you if you do something successfully. Um, so it is something to prepare for no matter what, if you're trying to get good at something. Uh, the answer, which is more of a do as I say and not as I do answer, is ignore them. Uh, much harder done than said because uh, I fall for it. I fall for it. I fell for it yesterday, actually. You know, I, at different points, I'm a technical consultant, but I, I work with a sales team. So it's very much a lot of verbal jabbing, going back and forth with the people on the team. You know, you know how sales teams can be. And so I'm very much the type of person that enjoys the verbal sparring and, and the, the kind of mudslinging. And so when someone comes at me, someone came at me on tour the other day, I, I fired back and like I instantly regret it. Like everything you say and do as you get a platform impacts your brand and is amplified to thousands of people. And this guy came at me and I threw a small jab back and he freaked out. He tweeted out NFT gods of fraud. Can you believe this guy? And it just wasn't positive for my brand. It didn't impact it at all, but there's like no upside to it. It's only downside. And so my recommendation, I tell myself this other day, uh, every day, I'm going to, I'm going to break this rule again, eventually, just because it's kind of my DNA is to go back and forth with people, but it's best just to ignore them. When you get into it with trolls, uh, the downside's tremendous. The upside is very little. You might win the temporary battle, but you'll lose the war because they brought you down to their level. And so uh, my recommendation would be avoid it and ignore it at all costs and be confident in yourself knowing that no matter what other people are saying, you're doing something right because they're coming at you. It's fascinating to just hear, look, our emotions get the better of us all the time, right? I think uh, the older I get, the more I realize like the whole game is between my head, between my ears and in my head. And so, um, yeah, I think they're going to, it's going to happen. Um, but handling it, I think is, is probably the really important part of it. Um, especially when it does kind of get the best of you. I'm trying to work on our PO app real quick, but I had something where it's not necessarily minting currently. I am going to turn to, we're going to turn to more of a Q&A. I have a couple more questions queued up and thank you for pretty much everything that you've shared today has been really valuable. And I'm sure the builders that are here are just want to continue to hear what's going on. We have some questions, you know, about, or I have questions about that that part of the experience you just talked about, where you, you're pinged, you're up day after day, that's going to happen. 
you have this discipline, like how do you maintain wellness and what are some things that really you can recommend? So I'm a pretty big health nut. I do this routine as well. I find value in discipline. So we talked about your routine for writing tweets and how you get on stages and then how you write your newsletter. Like, how do you then take care of the rest of NFT God? And what are some pieces of advice that you have for the folks that are watching and listening? Yeah, I'm glad you asked it because a big part of my content is actually about, uh, you know, self-improvement and wellness. And, And the reason that is a part of my content is because it's something I had to learn. And as I talked about a little bit earlier, you know, my content strategy is basically learn things and then share it. And so as my platform started growing, I ran into a lot of challenges in, you know, in the NFT space, just borderline, it's a dopamine factory. You know, a lot of this is gambling disguised as investing when it comes to crypto and NFTs. And what comes along with that is tremendous amount of dopamine hits, withdrawals from dopamine, uh, you know, all the unhealthy things that come along with gambling. And so you already have a baseline unhealthy environment. And then now you add on top of that, uh, everything that comes along with content creation, whether that's content not performing well or equally as bad content performing well. And now you get the ups and downs of the dopamine hits that come from perform, uh, content performing well, right? Like I sent out a tweet yesterday that's up to 7,000 likes now. And, you know, your phone just goes off the hook for 48 hours straight with comments and likes. And that's just dopamine hit after dopamine hit. And it can be very dangerous if you don't stay balanced. And so, you know, over the last several months, I've tweeted a lot more about wellness because it's something I've had to learn about and deal with because, you know, I'm facing all the temptations that come along with Twitter and content creation and having a platform. And so for me, a lot of things that benefit me is one removal from all of this. When I wake up, I wait at least half an hour before I touch my phone. I can't look at my phone the first 30 minutes because if you look at your phone right away, you know, your brain gets that dopamine hit to start the day. And now it's just going to be chasing it the rest of the day. Now for the rest of the day, your brain's going to be looking for that next hit. And that's just a really unhealthy state to be in. So that's probably the most critical habit I have is not looking at my phone the first half hour. In that first half hour, I really enjoy journaling. Uh, So this is a really good way for me to get myself in the right mindset to start the day. I sit down, I just free write for half an hour. Uh, I write about what I want to accomplish that day, what I'm proud of from the last day, what I'm excited for, what I'm grateful for. And it gets me into a, a good mindset to start the day. And it gets my creative juices flowing so that when I sit down at my computer or whatever I do, I have ideas going already in my brain for content I can create or things I need to work on. Um, And so those are the big things. Uh, My other favorite habit is when I'm done work, I I typically go for a walk. It's a little bit more difficult in New York uh, winters, which is what I'm about to experience now. Uh, But I I find those 20, 25 minute walks uh, late in the day to be extremely meditative. Um, It's actually where most of my best ideas come from are those walks. Um, So just getting out, going for walks, you know, during the day, clearing your mind, um, and then just being uh, aware of where and when you're getting dopamine hits and making sure 
they're not controlling you. And just having that awareness has been critical for me as well. So that's how I'd say, you know, are my big focuses for, for staying well, staying well in this space. Journaling, meditating, walking, uh, walking while you meditate, meditate while you walk, all wonderful insights. Some of the questions that have come in are about the newsletter and specifically timing of a newsletter. So one of the questions is, is it still a decent time to start a newsletter? And then I would pile on to that and say, how do you prep to launch a newsletter based off of your experiences? Is it still a good time to launch a newsletter? Uh, I, I would say yes. And the reason why I'd say yes is because why not? Um, you have nothing to lose. You only have things to gain, right? You only have the ability to improve your writing skills. If you can write, you can think, right? So if you can start writing well, you're able to crystallize your thoughts better. Uh, and so that's an incredibly valuable skill that'll impact the rest of your content creation. You know, a big part of content creation is just crystallizing thoughts, being able to take things you have inside you and figuring out the right way to get them out, structure them, make them digestible, make them attractive to people. And for me, long form writing has helped me tremendously with that. So I, I, I don't think it's a bad time to write a newsletter. I would say I think a lot of newsletters have started popping up over the last couple of months. Um, you know, with Substack and review, it's become a lot easier for literally anyone to spin one up. So the market is getting more crowded. But, you know, I wouldn't let that stop you um, because you, again, only have things to gain from starting one. You have nothing to lose. It's free. So just do it. Um, but on that note, I mean, in my mind, there are content avenues that aren't diluted that I, you know, I'd recommend people try to get into. Like, I still believe the TikTok sh short form videos are going to be huge in NFTs and Web3. I think they just make sense for Web3. I think that they very easily translate to memes. And I think there's a really good funnel from Twitter to that type of video content. And I don't really think anyone's taking advantage of it yet. Uh, I'm just not a video production guy, so it's, it's just not for me. But, you know, I, I do think there are avenues that are less diluted. But, you know, I'd still highly recommend starting a newsletter. You're building another platform. You're building your skills. And now you have, you know, a list of basically your super fans. And again, it took me six months to go from zero subscribers to like a hundred subscribers. Um, so you're not going to get that instant gratification, but you just got to work on it. Um, and then when it comes to launching one and thinking about how to launch one, when I started, like I just wrote about like one story in the NFT space and then I'd send it out. You know, I slowly evolved to like more small bite stories and then evolved to where I am today, which is most of my newsletter isn't even about NFTs. You know, I talk about, you know, kind of what happened in my week and lessons I learned from that week. And then I have a section called 1% Better Every Day where I talk about, you know, something I learned in a book or some sort of concept I think is really important when it comes to life. And then I have my NFT news story. So uh, timing, days of the week, whatever it is. I do it Thursdays because I don't want to worry about it on the weekends. I want to worry about it midweek. Um, so that's why I do Thursdays. And then I just kind of send it out on Thursday whenever I finish it. So that's how I, uh, I thought about my newsletter. Lots of digest there. 
We have a question from Chris Cantino that follows along the same thread. How do you recognize what you're good at and what people want from you? And do you review your content and try to respond to trends? Or is it more important to follow your intuition and your gut? I added gut. You got to be honest with yourself. So I do review all my content. I actually have a uh, Google spreadsheet where I put in all my tweets, literally every single tweet. There's thousands of them. End of every day, I copy and paste my two tweets and put it into the, uh, the spreadsheet. A few days later, I fill in the likes, the retweets, the comments. Um, and, you know, once a week, I'll have a review session where I'll go back you know, I'll sort by likes, comments, retweets, and try to find trends. And this is something I was doing earlier in the year back when I had a much smaller platform. And I'd see what was working, and what didn't, you know, my threads where I gave step by step guides on how to do something like how to build a program, or how to start a newsletter were ones that performed really well. And so I reviewed all my content, I was honest to myself about what did and didn't work what formats of tweets and content did and didn't work. Uh, and then I cut the fat and, you know, I always stayed authentic to myself. I never chased trends uh, unless the trend kind of fits into what I'm doing. Right. So if I see something that's working, that fits into my voice, you know, I might try to find the middle ground there. And, and But so far that's been next to nothing in the NFT space. Uh, none of the really trends have really attracted me. Um, so, you know, it's about honest reflection. I do review my content so that I can be honest with myself and understand what is and isn't working. Uh, and, you know, I'm not chasing trends if they're not authentic to me or in my voice, because I do believe everyone has the innate ability to determine when someone's being authentic or not. You know, if I were to send out a, a meme, po I've never sent out a single meme in my life. If I was to send out a meme, I just feel like people would know it's not authentic. They would just feel it in subconsciously. Um, so, you know, I, I'd say examine trends in the way where you take out the lessons learned from them, uh, but don't do anything that's not authentic, authentic to yourself. And that's where we have to end it for today. If you want to check out the full Q&A and learn more about joining Club CPG, visit CryptoPackageGoods.com. Thanks to all our CPG and POP members for making these kinds of events possible. Crypto Podcast Goods is produced by Genius Media, a division of Crypto Package Goods.